Good morning. <laughs> so good to be in minus whatever it is today. Temperature. Last Sunday was a little bit different. Uh, Puebla is in high desert, so it's not super warm there. Most of our time was in Pueblo, Mexico, which is southeast of Mexico City, about uh, three hours uh, by bus. And uh, and so just 20-something uh, during the day, and then it gets cool in the evenings right now uh, because it's high desert around 10 degrees. But Veracruz on the coast uh, is quite lovely and tropical, and uh, the sun was shining brightly there, and we just uh, had so much fun. Uh, Christina has not been on a ministry trip with me for some time, and so she was uh, Aaron, and, Aaron and Christina and myself, and she participated, and we were blessed, and I think the church, the family of churches there was blessed. Thank you, Karen, for being able to do a recap. The hotel room you saw was one of the newest campuses. Um, they, uh, uh, Pastor Eric and Ida, um, co-pastored the church, and so split up all the preaching time, and presently they're doing, he does three services um, in a Sunday morning, and she does three services for a total of six. Um, that would be the smallest group. The other campuses are packed twice over. So some of the sometimes they're preaching twice in one location. And they just announced that they are going to eight services <laughs> on Sunday morning, uh, plus uh, uh, these outlying areas where uh, they have campus campuses where a campus coordinator uh, is there uh, for maybe two or three, and then they'll get uh, weeks in a month, and then they have an opportunity to make the rotation like the Apostle Paul did uh, back in the day. So really incredible uh, as somewhere... I mean, 1,600, 2,000 people, I'm not sure, but uh, just an amazing, healthy family of churches, uh, and uh, it, we were inspired a lot um, and talked a lot about uh, just the prophetic words that we had a couple of weeks ago here during the Let Them Hear weekend, uh, and so this is my first time back since then. Thank you, Ryan, for doing an amazing job last week. Give a shout out to Ryan right now, the team. I just appreciate the strength of our team and the, their capacity. And, uh, and Christine and I just dreaming a little bit about some of the outlying area. Uh, different for us here because uh, Puebla is four million people. Uh, Veracruz is a million. Uh, and, uh, and so when we're talking about population centers to gather people a little bit uh, different so they can gather seven, eight hundred people in a campus. Uh, but why can't we gather 50, 60 or 80 people uh, in a campus uh, where the population is smaller, but there are population centers throughout the rural area of eastern Ontario and Quebec? And at the hub of that could be uh, this house feeding and taking care of. And we've talked about that, and it was just kind of renewed in our spirit as we saw it being lived out in Veracruz and in uh, Puebla, Mexico. Lord, just was so good to minister. Um, we were, Christine and I were sitting in a group of leaders on Saturday evening. A lady came in smiling and really bubbly on the outside. I can feel the vibrations coming up through my feet. And uh, as she sat down and the Lord uh, just, we were, we were free in that evening to minister prophetically over their team. And uh, the Lord just began to speak to me about some pain that was in her heart. And, um, and so 
Um, if you watch when I prophesy, I typically will go behind the person and lay hands on them because I don't want to see how they're reacting. That's a double-edged sword. Uh, some people are poker-faced when you're ministering to them, uh, and so there's no tells that you're actually, you know, speaking the word of the Lord to them, and that can encourage you, or uh, they are really responding, and then you might prophesy over and beyond Bible says the prophecy according to your faith, and so now you get out into the into uh, presumption. There's a little clinical how to prophesy clip, and um, and so I stand behind and I teach uh, people here when we're talking about the gift of prophecy to do the very same thing. In fact, uh, I've also uh, trained some of our folks here blindfolded. Uh, that may sound weird, but uh, we blindfold them and have them lay hands upon a person so they get no visual cues at all, but just listen to what God is saying. So that was the case. My eyes were closed. I'm standing behind her, and I just began. Uh, the first phrase that the Holy Spirit gave me was, um, as I was ministering to her, was, I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why it happened. I don't know why it took place. And just kind of begin to speak to her about uh, a crisis and a traumatic event that I felt had happened, and then uh, begin to minister the healing of the Lord and how to move forward out of the place of depression, out of the place of despair. I always call it the the Paul Harvey moments after, uh, and now you know the rest of the story. And we'll ask uh, the pastors, um, you know, so really would like to know. He said, "Oh my goodness." He said that uh, lady that was sitting beside her husband, you begin to minister to, just over a year ago, uh, had a very traumatic experience of a stillborn baby at six months old. Uh, didn't happen in a hospital. It happened at home. And it was very, very traumatic and changed her life. She has not been the same uh, since. And as you began to minister, he, she, she just keeps saying, why, why, why did this happen? Blaming herself, blaming her husband, blaming just how the enemy will take you in a downward spiral. Began to minister hope into her heart and hope into her soul. I share that with you just because as we've come from a prophetic time and I haven't had a chance to talk uh, with you and debrief that and we're debriefing with the people who've received, but we believe in this wonderful ministry called uh, the gift of prophecy here at Harvest. Uh, we believe that God ministers in exhortation, edification, and comfort and can do a work in a man and a woman's soul in a few words and in the laying on of hands. And we're just, we just love this gift. We guard it. We guard it very much so. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, we got to see it in operation in Mexico as well and see this dear lady uh, minister to. I don't have time to tell you all the other stories. There was a couple uh, that uh, we were ministering over. I was at that time in one of the one of the clips and maybe in the future and just how God began to speak into their destiny, uh, things that uh, brought confirmation to them. Well, this week I want to speak to you about living in a season of confinement, living in the season of confinement. It's a season that many Christians misunderstand. And so they miss what God has for them in the season. And worse, I've seen people end up stuck in their season of confinement. I'm going to look at the story of Joseph. The reason I'm doing this this morning is uh, as we were away in Puebla, I ministered to the churches. Um, it was their 10-year anniversary for Pastor Ida and Eric. Uh, it was one-year birthday for the Veracruz campus, 33 years for uh, the churches as a whole since uh, it had been planted 33 years ago in Puebla and has been growing since. 
I just felt the Lord speak to me about uh, how to move through the doors between seasons. And the last door was the door of opportunity, the great uh, amazing door that Paul talked to the Corinthians about. There's a great door of opportunity that's been open to me. And I realize that we're on the precipice of that door. But if you don't understand the what, what we refer to as the prison door or the season of confinement, and that some of you may be in that season. If you're not, you certainly will go through it in your life. Um, I've circled through many times in this kind of prophetic, as we move through season to season, just like we go through natural seasons, we need to learn to navigate the doorways and the portals so that we can take advantage of leaving one season behind and move into the new season unhindered, unfettered, and enjoy all that God has for us. And so I'm going to share a little bit of one of my life stories with you. I don't think I've ever shared this uh, on a Sunday morning. And uh, I'm looking forward to this this morning, and I think it'll just help us to understand how to make the most of the season that we're ready to move into, uh, one of opportunity for harvest uh, in these great years ahead of us as we see God uh, take us to another level of blessing and of influence, as we've talked about. But I want to talk about Joseph in prison. Joseph found himself in Egypt. He was running uh, Potiphar's estate, and uh, Potiphar's wife was really intrigued by Joseph. The Bible tells us that he was a good-looking guy, and, uh, and she starts to hit on him and starts to wanting to wear him down, and it goes from hitting on him and interested in him to all-out seduction, to which he finally, at a moment of just drawing the line, tells her to stop, and um, she's probably out of pride, uh, reacts to that and lies and says that he's the one that uh, was advancing on her, tells her husband as he comes back uh, from his business trip, and, and uh, Joseph is thrown into prison. I want to pick it up in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. Say confined. Confined. And here... He was in the prison. Father, I just pray right now that you would help uh, this minister to our hearts and souls, our minds to understand seasons when we are confined by circumstances outside of our control. And everything in us, Lord, wants to control. Lord, you alone are God. And as we learn to submit to you and trust you, there's a greater release of your power into our lives, your faithfulness flowing in every way. Help us be people who trust you with every area of our life, I pray today. In Jesus' name, everyone said. So when I was a kid growing up in southwestern Ontario, feral animals were a real problem, feral cats and dogs. The people from the city would drop uh, their unwanted puppies and their unwanted kittens on the side of the road in our rural area, thinking that they were doing these animals some kind of a favor. Of course, they weren't at all. It was completely the opposite of that, because if the animals survived, uh, they survived because they learned to hunt. They became wild. They were not domesticated anymore, and they had no fear of people. And so there was a real, real problem uh, of feral animals, and they would begin, of course, hunting small farm animals, and it was just an issue uh, all over the place. The feral cats were interesting, because if you saw one, 
and they could be sitting side by side by side with a domestic cat, you could not tell by its outward appearance that it was a feral cat. They may be sitting there on your barn floor with their tails just wagging back and forth because they are looking for a mouse or whatever that might, might be happening. You, hey, kitty, kitty, kitty. And the cat will look at you and go, meow. And there's really no way of all of being to differentiate uh, uh, those, those animals. We would put out live traps to catch the feral cats to control them. And once in a while, uh, the neighbor's tabby cat, who really liked the smell of tuna fish, would go into the live trap and get caught. And you go in the barn, and the neighbor's kept whiskers, what do you, what do you, whiskers, you think you'd learn by now. And you'd have to open the, open the cage, take whiskers back to its owner, and say, uh, we caught whiskers again. Any chance you could keep whiskers at home? And, uh, and so, but if you went out to the barn and there was a feral cat in the live trap, you knew. Because the minute you opened the barn door, and this cat, would manifest its wildness. When we are in a season of confinement, what is wild will manifest. When we are in a season of confinement, what is wild in our souls will manifest. And let me take a minute to explain to you what free will is, because it's really important to what we're talking about. God created us with a chooser. We have a will. We can choose. And we can choose him or we cannot choose him. And God has given, created us with a heart that can choose in love. And I want to. I call it our chooser. When we were in Mexico, we were sightseeing and we came across a shrine, which is not that uncommon in Mexico. And the shrine, inside the shrine, there was a glass box with an envelope slot on the top. And it was full of pictures. And I asked, well, what is this? And Pastor Eric said, oh, well, what this is, is if you fall in love with that beautiful girl that's in high school or college, or uh, you, you see her online, or whatever the case might be, and your advances to her are rejected, but you're sure you love her, and you'd really like to have a relationship with her, you get her picture, and you put it in the box, and vice versa, a, a girl with a guy. And when you drop it in there, spiritual powers are released, kind of casts a spell on the other person so that they'll fall in love with you. I go, that's creepy. <laughs> Can you imagine waking up from that spell some morning, looking over at a person beside you in bed, only to find out that they manipulated you to love them, but you don't? And you're expected to commit yourself to them, but you want nothing to do with them? Think about it. See, God created us with a chooser, and when he manifests his love to us, the Bible says that we only love God because, in 1 John, because he first loved us. And so the advances of God initiate, and God, God lavishes his love, and we are free to respond to that love or not. God does not usurp the human will. God has never made a person get saved, ever ever made somebody get saved. It's, it's con completely contrary to the heart of God. I say it this way, free will is the risk that love takes. That God desperately wanted people to love him because they wanted to in, in reciprocating his love, and they said, I love you back. God does not have a glass wall that he puts your picture in. Now, the enemy, on the other hand, the enemy, on the other hand, operates completely different than that. 
The enemy, uh, the, the devil, uses fear, manipulation, control, and we talk about demonic possession. Uh, when, when demon powers usurp a will of a person, so they're now doing the bidding or the work of, of the devil, and that's a real thing. And so the devil, completely opposite from God, and that's why it's so important that if we're going to influence others, that God deals with our will. Say will. Because what we do, which is very contrary to the heart of God, is when we don't get our way, we will operate in control and manipulation and try to capture the will of a person. We call it gaslighting. When you're wondering, was that my thought? Or was that the other person's thought? And high-level toxic people, um, they'll do this, where you start, you start having thoughts you never had before because they're literally putting thoughts in your head. And, and that is not a godly thing. That is actually a, a very demonic thing, a very negative thing. So when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, he's crying out to the Father, is there another way? Is there another way, Father? Do I have to go to the cross? And he's processing having to go to the cross to the extent that the stress of that moment, he's literally pushing droplets of blood through his perspiration. And the Father says, it's the only way. And Jesus responds, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Now, why did he say that? Was it because... Was it because uh, God said, son, if you don't go to that cross, I'm going to whoop you and it's your life. Do you understand me, Jesus? No. No, it was in a relational exchange of love, father to son, son to father, and Jesus for us. It's the highest act of, of love. The Bible says no greater love than this, and a man lays down his life for a friend. And so Jesus is that person. And so you have how God operates with us, with, with our will. And as we grow, that we learn as we're loving God to submit our will to God, that God's will is the highest and the best for us. And as we trust him with our lives, he, he continues, he loves us, we love him, and we grow closer and closer together. And he loves us into his image. He loves us into his image. Doesn't coerce, doesn't manipulate, doesn't force, doesn't put fear on us, but offers us a way of life that says, this is the highest and best. I've created you like a key that goes into a lock to know God, to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference. We say it that way at Harvest, and I'm so glad. I'm just amazed how many are in uh, step one this morning. Why don't you just give, uh, give a clap, and we're thankful for the people that are being added to our church. And so the live trap is not a place of discipline or God angry, being angry at us, but we will find our, ourselves in a place of confinement where we have no control over the door. We have no control over the circumstances that we're facing in our life, and those circumstances are confining us. You can be confined in all sorts of ways. It's a season, as I said, when things aren't going the way you want them to, and you have absolutely no power to change it, even though you're probably trying. 
You might be confined by a boss this morning. You're watching online, and we're so glad you are, that maybe a coworker. Uh, everyone else seems to get ahead, but you just feel like everybody's against you, and you just can't seem to do anything about that. And if you could just find another job, if you could just get a better job, life would be so much better right now, but I, I can't let go of this job, and I, I, I want a better job, and this boss is holding me back. He doesn't see my value. I need another job. I deserve a better job. Someone today feels confined in your marriage, and you've been at the door of your marriage wishing you could get out, wanting to get out, but you feel trapped. You don't know how. Feel like your spouse is holding you back from having the life you deserve, the one you really want. Our health today might be confining us. A diagnosis, something we're going through, keeping us from doing uh, life the way we once knew it, and now there's a new normal, and so we could be confined by that. You could be feeling confined here in ministry, and you're on a dream team, and you know, you've talked to the dream team director in your area, and you just said, hey, you know, if you just let me, or if I just could, or if I could be over there, or if I could be on the, on the platform, or it's just, I, I know, I just know it could be so much better for me and for you. You can see how gifted I am. Joseph's, you feel confined. Joseph's in the place of confinement, and he's literally holding the prison doors. In Genesis 40, 15, he, he, he says this with attitude. I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. I didn't do this. I want out. 40, 14 says, get me out of this prison. And that's our attitude often when we're in the place of confinement and the is manifesting in our lives. It's not the punishment of God, but it could be, it could be, it could be that he's got you in productive custody because he wants to point out some things to you that he wants for you to submit to him. Christine and I moved to upstate New York in the early 90s. The Lord had spoken to us. I was a youth pastor in Brockville and having the time of my life. Um, I was not 30 yet. I was approaching 30. I was being asked to speak um, in uh, doing youth conventions, youth camps, and uh, just really enjoying uh, what God had, you know, just put in our heart for ministry. But he began to speak to us in a way that was just so undeniable that we were to leave country, we were to leave family, we were to leave our denomination, and to move uh, over to be a part of New Testament Church in Messina. Um, and the door opened for that to happen, but it was not for full-time pastoral ministry, which I had been involved with for a number of years already uh, as a young man. We felt the Lord was speaking to us to lay down vocational ministry and to take a job, <laughs> which I did, uh, as principal of a school. And uh, there was a uh, K through 12 school. Uh, the Christian school used the building of the church. Um, and I felt that we were to do this as I was on assignment, Christine and I were on assignment from the Lord. And what the Lord had spoken is we were going to learn to do a new way of doing ministry. 
different from our de- denominational background. And God would begin to speak to us and teach us uh, the blueprint for his house that he had a plan for local church. Um, and it was different than the one we were used to, not better or for, was not better or worse. I don't want to suggest that. But it was different and it was the one we were going to be called to what's happening here at Harvest today this many years later. So we were in preparation for that, unknowing, we didn't know about the, what the future would look like. I didn't preach. I didn't teach. I wasn't involved in church leadership at all. I served on the dream team. <laughs> um, and so Sunday mornings, even though I was a fully ordained uh, pastor, Rev was already in front of my name. I'd earned that uh, in the denomination I was a part of. I now stood and I was a host team person, shook hands with people at the door. Only the pastors and the elders knew of my background. I didn't feel that I needed to pull that card out or go and have a bad attitude. Or, yeah, I'm on the host team this morning, but I used to teach and preach. Um, although that was happening on the inside as I'm going to unfold this story. I remember beginning to think as we had submitted to this season in God, and I told the elders and pastor, look, I really feel this is important that, um, you know, that I not be given opportunities. And they said, oh, it's okay. We weren't going to give you any anyway. Um, so <laughs> that guy, that guy, that guy, really fast. You're like, oh, okay. So God's really, you know, part of this. And, and so, and I remember, I remember I had a calendar, uh, not, not a real one, but in my heart and spirit, I was starting to knock off the days of how long will I be in this season of confinement? How, how long, you know, where it feels like somebody else is in control? How long where, where I'm not getting to do what I really want and, and, and what I deserve to be doing? And, 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 and uh, my friends, as the months, the weeks turned into months and the months would turn into years and friends that I went to school with were planting churches and, and, and doing all this crazy stuff and I'm taking care of kids in kindergarten and doing chapel and, and, and doing things that, that I didn't see were a part of my call or my gift or part of my life. It's not what I deserved. But I said I would submit to it. Lord, I'll do this. Remember one day a pastor friend coming to visit me at the church. And uh, I was taking him. It was after school hours, taking him for a tour of the building. And he says, we got into the auditorium and his, his eyes lit up. And back in the day, we used to, the pastoral team would sit on, the, on a platform. And uh, there were a number of chairs. He goes, which chair's yours? I went, uh... Actually, the one where Doug and Sue are sitting is where we used to sit every Sunday, second row. In. That's my chair. He goes, I don't understand. I go, no, I'm not going to explain it either. And uh, we went out into the parking lot, and there were some pastoral slots in the parking lot. I go, well, which parking spot is yours? Um, the one way back there at the back of the parking lot is usually the one if I get here early enough, I, I, I get that one. Others would preach, and the New Testament has launched a lot, number of church plants, and I felt like I was in a queue about a mile long, and every time I leaned over to look, i just get depressed because I thought this is going to take way longer than I thought. When others would preach, I'd feel the walls getting tighter and tighter as I would grip, grip the iron doors of my prison. Others would do youth ministry, and they weren't doing near as good a job as I was doing as a youth pastor, fully trained, went to school for, and I'm watching others do it thinking, oh, you could just do it so much better. My prayer time turned into, Lord, this was so obviously you, and we're submitting this 
to you, this season of preparation that we feel called to, to, I want out of this prison! Get me out of here! And though I was smiling on the outside, that was going on on the inside. I got a phone call after about six months, six, six or plus months into the process, and um, I got a phone call from a pastor friend of mine, actually one of my heroes. Uh, he was considerably older than myself and already uh, a senior pastor of a leading church in Calgary, Alberta called First Assembly. Um, and at the time, a church somewhere between six and 600,000 people. Asked if I would come and do a weekend of ministry for their youth group and then preach to the church. Um, it was a weekend of services on their Sunday night. I looked at my calendar because I knew I had said I would not go out to preach anymore. I wasn't going to do that. I didn't even preach in my home church. I wasn't telling him that. Uh, but I, uh, I looked at the calendar, and on the weekend he wanted was spring cleanup at the church. And I had volunteered for that. So I had my rake and my shovel ready and my wheelbarrow. And I said, oh, I got a full schedule. I'm so sorry. I won't be able to come and do I'd love to come and do the ministry weekend for you guys. And uh, you know what? But, but I just, I, I'm booked. And I wasn't lying. I had, a, I had an obligation with my wheelbarrow and my rake and my gloves with the rest of the guys that were doing spring cleanup. He phoned back, Pastor phoned back. He was, he was, just, he was just hammering me like, we need you to come. We want you to come and we really feel God wants you to come. So I mentioned it to the pastors and elders, kind of like, you know what? I just, I just need you guys to know, like he won't. And they said, we think you should go. I said, what? That we think you should go. We, we think you should go and do this weekend. And so I did and had a great weekend with the youth. And God had dropped a, a very specific word in my heart uh, for the Sunday evening service to this church. Now, again, the leader, the, the, the senior pastor of this church uh, was an absolute hero of mine. And um, his team, uh, throughout our denomination, we called, it the, we called it the dream team. They were some of the heaviest hitters in our denomination, all on one staff, in one place, doing church like, like crazy. Like, they were just really going for it. And, um, and so that, that Sunday night, I, I got up and I began to preach. And the essence of the word was this. In Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel warns uh, the people that they have settled for the mundane things of the house of God apart from God's presence. And so God's presence had taken a secondary role and the mundane things like the color of the chairs or the color on the walls or, you know, are we going to have a soup kitchen or not? And, and just a lot of the practicalities and, and Ezekiel speaking to a church where they were fighting about it and instead of just upholding the first and foremost thing. And, and so God had made a decision that he was shifting the priesthood lineage, which is really important. Not everybody could be a priest in the Old Testament. You had to be a Levitical family tribe. And, and so he shifted it from one family to the family of Zadok. And we see uh, that shift. And so I had used some very specific uh, illustrations uh, in, in my message um, and uh, got done and sat down and the senior pastor is leaning over and conversing with the team. And it goes from 30 seconds, and like the, the service is supposed to be shifting. The piano player is playing, looking like nervous. I'm sitting down. Uh, pastor's having this conference with the people, his other leaders. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what's wrong? And it got awkward and longer. One of the guys comes over to me and says, um, 
did you know that this and this and this were going on in the church? And I said, no, no, I didn't know that. He goes, well, you were very specific with your illustration, so much so uh, we're uncomfortable. You either had insider information. I said, insider information? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you suggesting that I talked with your leaders this weekend and formulated a message around that and spoke it tonight? And he goes, well, we're wondering. I said, I honestly would think God would strike me dead if something like that happened. I said, no. I said, please, this is weird. I don't know what to tell you, except God dropped that message on the plane on the way here, and I've delivered it. He goes, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. So he went over, said something in pastor's ear, took the microphone, came in, and he said to the congregation, he said, "Um, tonight we believe that a prophet of God has spoken to us. And as a church, we have a decision to make of whether or not we're going to continue in the presence of God or go the way of many churches and just get caught up in the mundane things that really don't matter. Tonight, the altars are open, and if you want to pray, we want to invite you. The leadership team came up on the platform and prostrated themselves face down and began to pray and began to weep and to begin to cry. People came out of their seats, filled both aisles and completely the front of the... um, And the roar of repentance and crying uh, scared me. It scared me that I went down the aisle to the back row. It was pews. I went underneath the pews and hid and put my hands on my ears. I said, God, I don't want to be responsible for this. This is like a lot of responsibility. This church is responding to something that I simply, out of obedience, preached. But I, I don't even quite understand. And I had never seen a response to a word or sensed the anointing of God in my life before that or since that. It was a one-off, and God was working with the man, loving a people, but using me in the middle of it. Because as I hid there, I was afraid. And some time went by, half an hour, maybe, I don't know, 45 minutes. People stopped praying and began to go out to their vehicles and leave the leadership team, this dream team of heroes that I would never be invited into a circle of, but now I'm absolutely in the middle of, and they're asking me a million questions. They're, they're, they're 10 years to 12 years, my senior, that far ahead in ministry. I'm a, a snotty-nosed kid, and they I've never played sports. I only imagine. I felt like I had just scored the winning touchdown They had hoisted me up on their shoulders, not literally, but that's what it felt like. And they're parading me around the front. And they're just like, dog, you are the best. Like, we've never heard, like, how to, and like, 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 you have prophets in your movement? And they, because they had, they knew some of our Canadian MFI churches and that that had come up in conversation. We've been down to, we've snuck down to some of those meetings and saw presbytery where they lay hands and prophesy over people. Dude, like your church does that. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, man. (laughs) Our church does that. You saw tonight, man. Like, whoa, come on. And now I'm getting caught up in this. I flew out the next morning, and uh, and, uh, I'm flying high. I'm like, woo, prison door is open. Manifestation of presence. I'm coming out. I'm coming out back to Canada. Gonna be a prophet to the nations. That's kind of how I celebrate. And uh, 
And so uh, I stopped. Um, it was the office, uh, my principal's office was on the way home. Uh, I wanted to grab some mail and, and drop off my laptop and just real quick go in. I put, I, I'm, I'm flying high. It's like, man, I don't know what these last months have been, but they're over. And I put the key into the lock and I looked up and there's a sign on that door. It doesn't say prophet. There's a sign on the door. It didn't say even my name. It said principal. And I went in the office and I fell on the carpet. And there's, to this day, I know the place because I visit it every time I have opportunity where I cried and wept as I realized that I had misunderstood. I would stay in that position for 12 years. And I'm not suggesting that your season of confinement will be 12 years long and mine wasn't 12 years at all. But I stayed in that position in obedience to the Lord for 12 years. The reason was that he wanted me to learn. And that moment as I wept on the floor, because I realized, I realized that, that there were so many things in me that were being manifested in this season, that that season needed to complete itself. And if, if I could represent the heart of God as a leader, it would need to be, it would need to be without the trappings of usurping and control and, 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 but in, it would be by invitation and leading a people because they want to follow, not because they're afraid to follow. You and I are called to represent the heart of God to, to people. But we're imperfect. And God's going to love us into his image. And he wants to place the anointing on our lives. But he's not going to anoint something that's going to hurt others. And so there's not, it's not that something's like off or it was, there was something was so you know, wrong with me or wrong with us as we come into seasons of confinement. It's simply to deal with that which has not been submitted to the Lord. As I wept on that office floor, I made a decision if I could just change my posture. I made a decision that at that moment as I was gripping the prison doors of a situation that, yes, I said yes to, but it, was, it had taken a life of its own. I often said it this way. I think God tricked me. God's not tricky. As I gripped those, the, the door, wanting it to open desperately, I made a decision in God that day that I would let go of the door and I would face my season of confinement. And when Joseph did that, something powerful happened that prepared him to be all that God wanted him to be. Qualified him in an obscure place called the prison. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. But the Lord, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Roy. And the Lord is with you. He showed him mercy, and he gave him favor. It's another way of saying he heaped grace all over him. And the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. This morning, what I want to encourage you to do, that if you find yourself in this moment in a season of confinement, 
or whether you've been in one or you feel trapped in one, my challenge to you today would be that you would let go of the bar. Stop counting off the calendar. Stop feeling like you're trapped in something that you have no way out of. Instead, allow this season to be the place that God wants to bring your miracle into your season of confinement. The miracle, you're convinced your miracle's on the other side of those prison doors. It's not. God wants to pour his miracle and his love. He wants to put something into that place that you find yourself in. He wants to take you in the place of confinement and make it multiply, make it prosper. He wants you to learn how to live in the blessings of God where there are no natural blessings, but he wants to rain down blessings and show you that even a prison can be a paradise in God, that his presence is there, his voice is there, and his preparation is there. that marriage you want out of? What if, what, if, what if God wants to do a miracle this morning? Because you said, not my will, but yours be done. What if God wants to prosper you in the job that you desperately are trying to run out of and get out of, you feel trapped in? You see all the doors and walls closing in around you, but you haven't witnessed his grace, his mercy, and his goodness to you. What if God wanted to promote you right where you are? You see, it's impossible it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. What if God wants to teach you to trust him in all the wild areas of your life so he can trust you to represent his love to others? What if God wants to manifest your miracle in the place of confinement? He's not punishing you. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. When I entered that season, so I'm going to humble myself. I'm resigning for full-time ministry as I know it. It would be a 12-year disconnect from pastoral ministry that I had been trained in. And God had a different training in mind. And so I was humbling myself. And here's what, here, here's what I learned about this verse. It's impossible to humble yourself. Because if you're humbling yourself, you're still in control. You're in control of the humbling process. The verb tense in the Greek is literally this, allow yourself to tuck under God's hand so when it's time, he can lift you up. God will not humiliate you. He will not shame you. Well, there are seasons he will hide you, love on you and whisper to you. And the most precious times of my life is when I've allowed myself to tuck under his hand and say, Lord, I trust your hand. I trust your hand. It's not a hand that's going to backhand me. It's not a hand that's going to hurt me. It's a hand that's going to protect me and love me into your image so that you can use me the way you've prophesied that I could be. All across this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to talk to those online here in the room that this might be a season for you. You feel so out of control. You feel like life has taken charge. And today's a day to acknowledge that God's in charge. I know the door's not opening. I know you would love it to. In due time, he knows exactly. But here's the promise before the door opens to your next adventure.
you will be a different person that trusts him, loves him, hears his voice in a way that even in the storm, you'll hear his whisper because you've drawn close to him. A simple prayer, something like this, Lord, today I trust your goodness. I trust your grace. I trust your mercy to be poured into my season, transforming what I thought was a prison to actually be your hand over my life, protecting me, preserving me, and loving me. Thank you. Thank you. Which is why Paul taught us to pray, count it all joy when you find yourself in that place. Lord, all across this room, just minister, Holy Spirit, to those that the enemy has lied to, that they did something wrong, that God doesn't love them anymore, or God has withhold his blessing, and others are getting blessing, but my door's shut. You are the God of the door. And Lord, right now, that just that voice of the enemy is canceled. They begin to see the grace and the mercy. And Joseph became one of the greatest leaders known in history. Administrating your love, feeding a nation. Because he said, yes, I'm turning my posture. I'm not shaking the doors any longer. Lord, do your work in me. Lord, I discovered in that moment as I got off the carpet, I saw you different. I saw my season completely different. And by the time the door opened, it didn't look like a prison to me at all. And I was able to step into a place and transition or transform prisons right now into places of your presence your preparation and your power in Jesus name just before we conclude today's service if you're here today we don't close the service without giving opportunity to respond to God's love you might be here today and you've never invited Jesus into your heart you've never said yes to his love you get to choose today he's already chosen you will you choose him if you're here today or you're online you've never invited Jesus into your heart I'd like to give you opportunity to do that. I would just love for you to identify that, yes, I, I, I want to do that today. You can simply just raise your hand wherever you're sitting right now. Is there anyone in the room that would just say, Pastor, include me in a prayer today. I want to receive Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else today that would just raise their hand and say, I want, I want, yes. Anyone else today? I don't have my glasses on. I don't see who you are, but I see your hands, and it's so precious. Go ahead and Harvest, let's just respond. And online, you can text, today's my day of salvation. I want to invite you, if you raised your hand, or if you wanted to raise your hand, to pray this prayer with us. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. I receive your love today. Forgive my sin. Wash me clean. I receive your cleansing. I begin my new life with you. Amen. 
We believe if you prayed that, a simple prayer from your heart, you are born again and beginning your eternal journey with Him. God bless you. Let's stand and sing this song just before we go today. Have an awesome day and we'll see you next weekend.